Welcome to Classical Etc., a show that dives into the philosophy, culture, and heart of classical education. You're in the studio with Shane Saxon. All right, well, welcome to the next episode of Classical Etc. And on today's conversation, we're talking about a, a topic that Paul actually brought up. The topic of what does a fully formed graduate of a classical school look like? We've talked about the fully formed person, what it looks like when in our lives trying to aspire towards the life of the mind and things like that. But what about a student? What do we want them to be when they reach 18 years old? Martin, what are the things that come to mind when you think of what should a student be when they graduate a classical school? A better human being. Um, somebody who has a general education. Um, I think, you know, the tendency in education today is to want to produce some kind of specialist. And particularly in the early grades, uh, you know, before going to college, I think that's a really bad goal. Uh, I think, um, you know, we want to, you know, the, the ideal used to be we want to produce a child who's had a broad liberal arts education. It used to be by the end to, until the end of college. Then you would specialize, right? Um, that's why there's all those liberal arts colleges that call themselves liberal arts colleges out there. And then I think we, you know, as, as education in this country deteriorated, that goal went to 12th grade. And now it's been eliminated altogether. And I think we suffer because of that. Um, and, and, and even specializations suffer as a result of that because you're a better specialist if you're also a good generalist. So what do you think of AAU sports and things like this in our, in our culture? Do you think that they are affecting the education that our students are receiving? Sports. Oh, well, sure. I well, mean, AAU sports specifically right. is where kids are joining these like basketball teams oh. at age 10 where they're traveling year round. Well, yeah. I mean, I have a whole. I'm, uh, I didn't know what you were talking about. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I have a whole, uh, yeah, a whole speech on that because my, I had a son who's very athletic. Oh, please. And, uh, <laughs> and no, but he was, he was specializing. I mean, it's the same thing in education. I mean, he was specializing in soccer. Mm. And, if I had to do it all over again, he was also a very good basketball and played AAU basketball. Um, but then he dropped out of that to specialize in soccer. If I had to do it all over again, and he agrees with us today, uh, that I would have had him play basketball also. I mean, you know, because now all these sports are all season. You know, soccer never sleeps. Right. I mean, you, they're, they're playing in the tundra in Tennessee uh, near, near the end of the year for these tournaments and everything. It's It's ridiculous. Uh, when I was in high school, I was on the high school soccer team, and when the season was over, we put the ball away and didn't even look at it until the, the next season started next year. So he would have been, he says today, he would have been a better soccer player if he had been in other sports too. And I think that's, that same principle goes for education. Sure. And you used to say, you I know you told at least Nick's class that um, – if they wanted to be teachers, they should not major in education. They needed to major in something where they would actually become an expert in something. Right. I mean, yeah, in, in a way, that's just a fake major, to be right. quite honest. I yeah. mean, I mean, you, you, you want to major in the thing you're teaching, not in right. the, the methods by which you teach it, which are really ultimately very simple. But, but the whole point about like not specializing early, I think we, we, we fall into the trap of that as classical educators that what we're specializing in is classical education rather than we are, we are generalists. We are giving you a broad education mm -hmm. because we, we can think, well, 
you know, we're headed towards classical education. So when my kid goes off to college, my kid should go to a liberal arts institution and just study the liberal arts rather than, well, no, this, now this child has a wonderful broad education. They can go study uh, wildlife management. They can go study engineering. They can go study whatever they want to specialize because they've gotten that broad education. Um, and I feel uh, some people don't, I, I don't feel, feel the freedom to say, okay, now that we've accomplished this, this liberal education or we've gotten a broad base now, yeah, let's go do something different in college. Let's go major in something specific. Yeah. You might be making the same mistake progressive educators are making. If you think every one of your students should major in Attic Greek when they get to college, <laughs> like hopefully maybe one. Yeah. If that, if that's what they're interested in, but the rest will use their Greek base yeah, to and be we, a better engineer. Or we do like need them, right. To continue the movement, right. We, you yeah. need those mm -hmm. experts to be the teachers, to give that broad education, but it doesn't have to be everybody. Yeah. And, and you see this in, in science, uh, that the great German scientists of the 19th century had studied Greek and Latin and the classics. That was their foundation for, for, um, for science. You see the same thing, uh, with, uh, the, the relativity revolution, you know, Einstein was wide, you know, he had a classical education. So did Niels Bohr who helped develop, uh, quantum physics. Um, and, they would say, uh, if you talk to those kinds of people, they will tell you this. Um, uh, one of the great books that, that's come out about this, and it also has to do with athletics, is is uh, the the book Range. Um, and uh, the subtitle is something like, um, How Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World. Uh, the, and what his primary example of this is science uh, and how all these technical disciplines and and he points out that scientists, you look at the greatest scientists, and they, they have a broad education. And the greater scientists they are, the more widely educated they are, and the more hobbies they have, and avocations, and this sort of thing. Um, we don't understand the power of generalism, I don't think, in modern education. I've heard it said that Einstein was, you know, obviously better at math than me, but wasn't a the, the superior mathematician. It was that he was so he was such a, a an imaginative guy that the thought experiments he was able to accomplish gave him new ways of looking at the data that other people. Yeah, weren't. well, yeah, I think the the mathematician thing, the mathematics in Einstein is overplayed. He wasn't as good as some of the really really good ones sure. who were, but he he was an A B student in math. Sure. But yeah, that's that's true. I mean, all of the the, the relativity revolution. Uh, would not have happened if it hadn't have been for the fact that he had an imagination and he was near a bunch of trains and clocks, because that's a lot of his examples, his trains and clocks, because he was a patent clerk in Bern, Switzerland, uh, where the trains were always coming through. Yeah. So, Tanya, when it comes to the actual brick-and-mortar school building or, you know, the homeschool, how does the classical approach create this well-roundedness, maybe in contrast to other approaches to education? Well, because it's general, we're studying everything mm -hmm. and studying it broadly. We're not, I, I know there are, I don't know at what age, but I've talked to people whose children were in schools where they like we became in tracks like by seventh grade where they just decided, well, we're interested in math now, so we're going to go to the math track or instead of just letting them all get the same education. I don't know if that's still happening or not. Well, and it's very prevalent in Europe, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, I mean, that just seems crazy to me. Yeah. I and, feel and like... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, in my county, they, they basically require them to have a major 
Uh, now, they may not still have this. This was about five years ago. Uh, they required them to have a major in eighth grade. I'm trying to think what I would have, in eighth grade, what I what would have been my interest besides <laughs> boys. Um, I honestly, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't this, but it wasn't this in college either. I mean, I took that general education too far, maybe. I remember my dad saying I was at a liberal arts college. He was paying for it, <laughs> saying, um, so you're going to teach? And I said, no. Then why are you majoring in English? What are you going to do with this? Well, I just love, I just like it. I like those classes. I had no plan for my life. I At that point, I should have been specializing. <laughs> and he was trying to make me do that. Which, but, but, but look how it you, turned out. Well, it turned and, out great, didn't and, it? And you ended up with a love for learning. Right. Yes. I mean, that, I think that's important of a graduate, right? Like, yes, this isn't just something we beat them over the heads with for 12 years, 13 years, and then go, well, you'll never see this again in your life. Right. Like that's, you wanted to just continue on studying. Right? And well, the I mean, sad thing for me was that I, I had, I had a terrible public school education. And so I really didn't develop a love of learning until that liberal arts college. Mm -hmm. I really credit those professors with my love of learning because it, I was not prepared for college, but I really loved it. I loved the classes. I loved all the generality. And I think that's what we're doing in classical education is we're, we're allowing students to know a lot of different things so that then they can make good decisions about what they want to mm -hmm. do with their lives and that when they do it, that they're going to be better, more ethical, have higher moral standards because of the kinds of things that we're studying. Sure. It doesn't matter if, you know, if they're a firefighter or a doctor or just work in a factory, but that to be a well-rounded, fully formed human is right. what we're doing. I was an economics major in college and I was taking philosophy classes for fun, and I realized at one point I only needed one more course to complete the major requirements. So I went ahead and did that, and and then declared an, a philosophy major too. Uh, so I got I got two, did two majors, and uh, and my dad asked me one day after he found it, he said, "Well, what are you going to do with that?" You know, and if if I was faced, I never was, but if I was faced with the same situation with my children, and they were majoring in philosophy and economics, and they they majored in philosophy first and then declared an economics major too. I would have said, what are you going to do with that? Uh, because that would have been really, as my life has developed, the philosophy degree was far more valuable, even when I was in banking sure. than, right. than the economics degree. Don't want to touch back to something you said earlier, Martin. You were saying that there is a role for the specialists. What do you mean by specialists and what is the role of a specialist since we've just spent a lot of time defending general education? Well, I mean, uh, people go into different uh, specialties. I mean, that, that that's the that's the thing now. Everything is a specialty now. Uh, when you if you went back several hundred years, you know, people say that Erasmus was the last thinker who had mastered everything at that time in terms of of knowledge. Uh, there's nobody, nobody can do that anymore because there's so many things now and they're so advanced and they're so specialized that if you're going to do that thing, you need to be trained in it, not educated in it, but trained in it. That's a sure. different thing. Training is different from an education. Uh, and having that broad uh, education coming to that 
um, you're able to to see it in a way that you would not be able to see it if you had just specialized in that one thing. I think that's the key right there is yeah. that you are able to look at it from a different place. And then you wouldn't have people like uh, uh, Edward O. Wilson, Ed, Edwin or Edwin O. Wilson, the the uh, guy who created sociobiology. And his problem was that that all he knew was ants. From the time he was little, all he studied was ants. So the whole theory of sociobiology, which which everybody attacked from every different political angle, was because it reduces human beings to something less than human beings. And it's because he saw human beings as ants. <laughs> you know? I mean, this is the kind of distortion you can get from specialization. Uh, he was considering the ant. And I <laughs> right. respect so, so it's it's not bad for a guy to devote himself to studying ants, but he's got to have that broad education first, first. to know <laughs> that, to know even the limitations. Of what we you, we yeah. like people that study ants. Just no. to be clear, well, I mean, it's, it's well documented on this program that you're interested in specialist things like the dung beetles on your farm. I don't know that we ever talked like about dung beetles, but I'm glad that's come up. It's fascinating. So, but you it agree. Keeps, I think it keeps coming up. Don't encourage them. We just, we need to stop that conversation. <laughs> what was your point? Yeah. So just the question, you've spent a lot of time, especially now, specializing now on the farm, but do you find that this point is true of your experience on the farm? Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, I, I mean, I learn a lot from people that grew up on the farm. Right. And, and I, I always put their knowledge ahead of my own based on, you know, whatever I've read or whatever I've learned from other people because they've done it their whole lives. But then sometimes I'm sitting here going like, what? We complain about losing hay because it's in a, it's in a hay ring and the cows are eating it. They trample on it, whatever. I'm like, what, can we just put a pallet at the bottom of that hay feeder so that the, the hay bale sits on top of the pallet? And so it doesn't get into the mud and it doesn't, you know, uh, end up rotting. And I remember asking my neighbor who has been a tremendous help. And he was like, I've never thought about that before. Like, give that a shot. Let me know how it goes. And, and, you know, it's just because when you're specialized, you just do kind of what you've been trained to do and coming at this from a perspective of, you know, somebody who's been dealing with books on pallets for years. <laughs> That's right. I know pallets are easy to obtain, <laughs> right? Um, but it, it has been helpful. Um, because I have been trained to look at it from the big picture rather than just, this is my one little thing. Like all I do is chickens, right? I mean, Tiny came over to my house delivering cats there the other day. There are chickens everywhere. It's like, you have a lot of chickens. I'm like, they're living their best life. They love it. <laughs> um, but I'm also trying to think about those chickens in relation to the cows, in relation to the pigs, in relation to the ground um, in, in ways that, yeah, there's a lot of people farming that have done that way before me. But it was that sort of generalist approach that really caught my attention and said, well, this is, this is, this is farming that's not specialized. It's farming that's broad-minded. And I think we should say that your chickens are not all pinned up together. You do have a lot of chickens, but they are literally running all over the yard. That is correct. They're free yeah. chickens. Are they walking in and out of the house? That's the question. I didn't Not see yet. any walking in the house, <laughs> but it yet. would have been possible. Um, yes. My father was an engineer in... in um, he was the head at the time of the sh of the payload processing for the space shuttle, and uh, they they couldn't figure out if they had to abort a launch. There's only two places in the world they could land them. So, one of those places, um, if they landed it there, of course they you you land and it's the the the, the shuttle is horizontal. Well, if 
and the cargo's still in there because you didn't get it out in the space and let it go. And so they couldn't figure out how to get, because the way you put cargo in space shuttles, it's sitting there on its back, on, on its tail, and they put it in this way, and they have a special machine to do this. Well, what happens if it's sitting like this, it's in some other country, how are they going to get the the stuff out of it so they can get the shuttle, empty shuttle, back here on the top of a 747, which was how they did it. And so for weeks, he's out there hammering in the garage because he his dad was a carpenter, and he, he my dad was practically speaking a carpenter. And he just took these, just something from really another kind of thing. Carpentry is not engineering. Um, but he, he things he knew from carpentry, and he, he builds this little thing, and he brings it in one night. He says, I solved it. You know, he's got little little uh, 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 hydraulic things and levers and all this stuff. And he brought it in the next day to the committee of people working on it. And they said, yeah, that's it. That's, that's the solution. <laughs> because he knew carpentry in addition to knowing engineering. Yeah, that's cool. So, Tony, you had an insight when we were talking about this topic that I thought was really important. And that is, we talk a lot about creating well-formed students. But a part of that process, kind of counterintuitively... That's maybe not just classical education, it's just wisdom, is that classical education isn't the only thing if you're going to form well-rounded students. There's other things that need to be a part of the process. What are those things, and, and why do you think that that's an important point? Well, the point that we make all the time is that, you know, our curriculum is ecumenical, so we're not teaching doctrine to students. We're, because we feel like that's the responsibility and the privilege of the family and the church. And so so we're not alone on this journey. We're not just um, letting your kids out of the car at carpool to take care of their education 100%. It is a, it's a partnership. And the the homeschooler it's it's easier for sure. because they're in charge of everything. But for the student that goes to a school there's we can't let go of the responsibility that we as parents have and that churches have to educate students. And so that's, you know, that's one thing that we, um, that they need to take care of. And the other things are these, um, when my son was here at HLS and his friends were all in the public school system where we lived, they had classes like practical living, which would teach them like how to maybe balance a checkbook or I don't know how that's, to brush their teeth. A, I don't know. Skill that we need right but now. But I just, <laughs> I, well, I just thought, what? I mean, why is the school doing this? Why? And I do know that there are a lot of students in families that don't get that, but that's really not, that's what we're not do. That's what we are not doing that. Here we are educating children academically and trying to form their characters. You know, we have manners and etiquette. I was at a kindergarten opening assembly. I just I don't know. I ended up there earlier than I thought, so I had to stand through their little opening assembly, which was about voice volume and how, you know, telling these five year olds that they needed to have the correct volume of voice for the place where they were and the difference between being in a playground and being in church or being in the classroom. And, you know, so those things we're doing, but the parents have to help us with that too. Well, and you know, all the parents have probably said that and we're reinforcing That's that. That's right. 
That's right. Well, so it's a it's a partnership. It's not you can't depend on the school to raise your child. And and I mean what the school does, you know, or or, or you know, your your homeschooling classically is is continue the culture that hopefully is coming out of the family and out of the the church, right? right? And so it's not again the school's not trying to take on those responsibilities but we are we are actively working to to support them yes you know and so we are as much invested in trying to make sure the kid comes out as a virtuous graduate as hopefully the church and the family are but we recognize that we only play a part in that right and so we're going to we're going to require behavior and discipline and that sort of stuff but we recognize that yeah, well, we might give them some spiritual motivation for that. That's really coming mainly from the church and the and the family. And that we the consistency is so important for the children that mm-hmm. the things that we are that are important to us, you know, it's important for the parents to know that too. To know what we are doing, to take the responsibility to know so that they are supporting those things at home, like getting your homework done. Um how, you know, how to sit at the table for dinner is how we want to sit at the table at lunch. Um, I had a student once who never had his, he'd never had his Latin homework. And so I lowered his grade for that. He was an A test student, but I lowered his grade because he never turned in his homework, which was a part of his responsibility and so the next day after the report cards came out, and I put on the report card why, his he came, he called me out in the hall and he said, my dad told me I need to apologize to you because I don't ever have my Latin homework. And I said, and it was a very nice apology. They had obviously worked on it. And I thought, this is really nice, you know, for the father to talk to him and tell him why this was wrong. And I just thought, you know, he has really learned something here. So we go back in. You know, I told him it was fine. It was a new day. We go back in, and I started to take up the homework for that day, and he didn't have it. So (laughs) my bubble burst. (laughs) But it was a beautiful apology. (laughs) So let's, let's end on this. We A lot is made in popular culture in the news of the current generations, just the way that they've been shaped by the rapid advance of technology in our country and all the different things that are diminishing children's attention span and all of these different things. And every generation has its issues, but our generation, the, the current generation certainly has some because of social media and television and all of these things. How do you guys think, considering the, the picture of a high school graduate, how is classical education specifically an antidote to our, our current culture's kind of forming presence um, and describe what you think a young man or young woman should be like today when they graduate. What, what are the characteristics of that young man or young woman? Um, I would say that they need to know their own history and culture mm. and where it came from. Uh, I think in a sense, modern students are raising modern uh children, young people are in, in a sense raising themselves because they're not having uh, their culture passed down to them. Um, 
I've said, I may have said this before on this show. I've, I've been saying it a lot recently <laughs> is that, is that, uh, our children are not even aware of what their parents and their grandparents' culture was like. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't, when I was young, we all, you know, we had nine channels in Los Angeles where I grew up and there were old movies and there were cartoons that were constantly referring back to previous generations and the movies and culture of previous generations. Uh, our, our kids now are so focused on the now they have no clue what my what it was like for me to grow up, what, you know, our, our generation, what it was like for my grandparents' generation to grow. They they have no clue. They don't. They're not interested in it. Um, they're not told that. Uh, and there's no automatic mechanisms like like popular culture was in my generation. It, it did that automatically. It doesn't do that anymore. It's all focused on today. The news cycle has been reduced from you know a month, a hundred years ago to about 24 hours now. Or it's, it's just a, immediately yes, on my smartwatch. Yes, right. It's, it's the dominance of the now. And, mm-hmm. and, they, they have, and because of that, they become very, very narrow in their outlook. I think a huge um, reason for that is that we no longer live together as extended families. Mm-hmm. I think the mobility, and I mean, my family is the worst. My brothers are, we are not, anywhere near each other. But I think those days, and it was mostly agriculture, I think, when extended families lived, like when you took in your parents and your children had that constant multi-generational experience, I think to me that's a huge loss. Well, that's part of it. But the, the, the other problem is even when they're all living in the same house, uh, the children are in their rooms with their smartphones and they're not living Everybody's not together the in a community together. Well, and I kind of, what you were talking about, knowing your history and culture, and what I was thinking was back, back to that sort of broad-mindedness and general generalist idea of just, be, I was thinking the exact same thing about living in the now and how what we hear today, like, oh, that sounds reasonable. But we forget about what we heard a month ago, that it was complete in contrast. And so what we're here, very few people sit there and go, those two things don't match up, right? And so the idea of, of, of bringing children up in a way that they, that as, as Cardinal Newman put it, right? Truth is one, and then we need to be able to reason for first principles. But if truth is one, then what was true yesterday it should be true today in the same way and in the same respect, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, having students with this, I hate the word world, the word worldview, but I'm going to use it <laughs> with this worldview of that the, 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 the truth is one and is unchanging in perennial things. I think it, it talk about antidote, right? I mean, that, that solidifies them and, and, and kind of sets that solid, that foundation of, I can't be, buffeted around it doesn't mean that we shouldn't change our minds when when truth becomes more apparent to us right but that we're in that we're able to say i was wrong about that this you know this is clear to me now but to have that solid foundation of truth i think is huge and and this relates back to classical education because the whole methodology by which classical education purports to make better human beings uh is by passing on mm. the culture mm. to them. And spe- the, 
Western culture in particular. Um, you know, you, you, you have a much better perspective on the present if you've studied history and all the things that have happened in the past and all the way people have solved problems in the past and what they've done in the past. I mean, uh, that, that, that's what distinguishes classical education from other kinds of education, precisely. Yeah, yeah and that, that issue, issue of generational contact, you know, at one point, families lived together and you could have met someone who was older than you just in your community. That mm-hmm. kind of diminished, but you could at least still meet people who are older mm-hmm. than you at church. But now you have contemporary service and traditional service. That's true too. So you're not really meeting people at church anymore who are older than you. And then, but you know, money still drives our country. And so at least you're going to meet people older than you at work. You know, your boss is usually going to be older than you, but now you were. Are you if, saying something about my age? No, no, no. We're all, <laughs> of course, Seriously? we're all peers here. You're sitting here but, with gray hair. Yeah. Is my hair gray? <laughs> but, so, so who's the boss here? Yeah. <laughs> There's a reason for that, though. We won't talk about it. A reason for that my hair's not growing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if if we were lucky enough to work remote and not work with our bosses, then we wouldn't we wouldn't necessarily even know how old the people were are that we're working with. I mean, you, everyone is really equalized by that that remote technology, and so I think that generational gap will continue to grow. I think that's right. I'm afraid so. It's sad. Are we ending on a sad note? Well, no. It's 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 the reason why we need classical education. That's right. What a positive way to end. Yeah. And if, you, and if you're really going to classically educate, move the grandparents in. <laughs> That's right. Well, my, you know, my kids, I feel like came, they, and they, neither one of them was a good student, but they went into college able to think for themselves. Mm-hmm. They knew what they believed. They knew why, but they also were open to change. And I think that is a huge point that you made is not that, yes, we recognize, you know, we've studied, they've studied all the mistakes people have made, all the good things they've done, who, what it means to have courage. and But it, there's also that open dialogue that says, I'm at this place now, but I continue to learn. I, I mean, that's the whole... Yeah, an open pursuit of the truth. Yes, that we are constantly still open to learning. We're not finished. We're never finished. That's great. All right. Well, that's our episode. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Classical Etc. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, consider leaving us a positive review and sharing it with a friend. A huge thank you to the Memoria Press Podcast Network for hosting our show. Be sure to check out all the great podcasts there. As always, I'm Shane Saxon. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit memoriapress.com. To connect with us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.